Stephen Drew from the Architecture Social and currently right now I am I am wallpapering I'm not wallpapering I'm painting my rooms which means that I'm living in the living room so this is an audio only podcast however I'm super thrilled to be joined by an architect called Laura Simpkins who has a fantastic architectural practice I originally saw her post on Instagram which I'd recommend you check out but Laura, Laura's here virtually with me. Laura Simpkins, how are you today? Hi, Stephen. I'm very good, thank you. All the better for a bit of sunshine and Boris telling us that our kids are going back to school. Hooray! Hooray! That is good news, isn't it? And uh, we'll have to get you on another time because I've got the pleasure of seeing your office here and you've got the Pride Road house in the background. You've got the Pride Road banners. But for anyone that doesn't know you at all, Laura, so Mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about yourself and your practice at the moment and what you're up to. Well, I'm, I have my own practice, but mm. I'm a franchisee of the brand Pride Road. So my okay. practice is called Pride Road, New Forest and Bournemouth, because that's the area that I work in. So I live down in the New Forest in Hampshire, and I specialize in house extensions, remodeling projects, and mm. loft, loft conversions. Since we've gone online, my area has got bigger. So I am working as far afield as Bristol and Portsmouth and various places, but I'm uh, now sort of just specializing in the domestic market and I'm a very new practice. I started January 2020. Yay, 2020. So you went, yeah, I'm going to set up a practice. And then two months later, two months later, the pandemic came. It sounded like a really auspicious year to start something in a nice kind of even number. Mm. And I just got to that point, my kids were a bit older and I thought, yeah, definitely time to do something for myself. And I remember a fellow architect who reminded me of this recently, we were at New Year's party together and I was, I was telling him what I was doing and I was all full of confidence. I was like, it's going to be amazing. Mm. And I said to him, what can possibly go wrong? And he reminded me of that a couple of months ago. Famous last words. Probably a good job. I didn't know what was ahead really. Yeah, I mean, I, I ran my own business many years ago, and I think that with, with um, businesses, you've kind of got to just jump two feet in, and uh, what comes your way comes your way. And yeah. I, t- I tell you what, though, if you, could, if you can handle this year, you can handle any year, so... <laughs> You're still, you're still, still open, still profitable, still going. So you're doing something right, uh, Laura. That's amazing. Yeah, it was, a, it was a definite kind of panic moment in that first March. But I think for me, because I'd started on my own, I was actually panicking anyway. So mm. I was, all, I, I felt like I jumped off a cliff starting in January, and obviously I'd borrowed money to try and break even by a certain point. And then for me, when the pandemic started, it was more just like the other side of that cliff suddenly got moved a lot further away mm. but i was i was already jumping <laughs> i think you've done really well and so that is amazing what i'd love to know is uh, and we'll talk a little bit about the business later but what i'm mm-hmm. really keen to learn because i imagine there's a lot of people out there like yourself who have maybe worked done a bit of freelancing before i can see that you worked in architectural practices in, in yep. the past and you've done freelancing so i'd love to know a little bit about your journey up until this point do you want to tell me a little bit about 
your first few roles in the industry? How did you, yeah, of uh, course. you know, right around the time you're getting your part free and all that? Mm -hmm. I'd love to know. <laughs> well, I, in the dark and distant past when I qualified, <laughs> I started off at Broadway Malian, so international practice. Oh, cool. And that was my first practice. I It was quite heady times. There was quite a lot of work around. Mm. And um, I was there for a, about three or four years. And I got qualified whilst I was there. It was a great practice to start off in because there were loads of resources, loads mm. of training, um, tons of... It was very business orientated. And they really threw me in the deep end. I mean, I was managing sort of multi-million pound projects pretty quickly and mm. very full on but the thing that I missed and interestingly my examiner at my part three actually mentioned this so all of my projects were design and build and that's just how it was lots of the it was commercial office buildings and and big residential projects and kind of mixed use developments and they're all design and build so I managed to wing it and get through my part three but the the guy who was doing the interview did say probably time to now look at some other different types of practice just for your own benefit so you see mm. different ways of being an architect and that was good that was the I would have done that I think anyway and it was kind of nice to have that push so then I looked for a more design-led practice and I ended up in a practice called the Genesis Design Studio they're based in Romsey in Hampshire and this was the days when there was a lot of money in education and I'd actually started off my first ever bit of work experience was at, Ham at Buckinghamshire County Council, working for the county architect. My dad was a headmaster at the time, and I worked on the extension for his school. And I really loved it because I'd kind of grown up hanging around waiting for my dad to come out of school and sort of lived in schools. And I loved designing the 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 kind of challenge of the sort of public private and the different classrooms that was really interesting to me so this practice genesis design they specialized in schools and they did some really lovely designs and when i was there i very much saw proper architecture sort of how it should be our clients were school governors so they were very invested and very interested in getting the best result but they were it wasn't like working for a developer who was going to be value engineering your scheme they were all up for getting as beautiful a building as they could and there was quite a bit of funding around so we just designed really nice buildings and i loved it it was great it was how i thought being an architect would be amazing yeah i think it's um it's quite interesting because you mentioned broadway Mallion. and i know broadway Mallion really well so they're massive oh, yeah. so it's the total yeah. it's totally different end of the scale and i quite enjoy how um how things can change over time because and i think it's important for anyone listening as an architect you don't need to be typecast into one typology or sector of building so mm. what was it like um as a first step going from the big broadway malian buildings of the world and, and using the, the next steps was that was that a bit of a difference kind of changing scales or what was your experience along that side yeah, definitely things like the office culture. And I remember being mm. very shocked by their pretty backwards 
admin systems because <laughs> obviously somewhere like Broadway Mellon has to be so up with it they were sort of ISO accredited this and it was all about streamlining and you had a million and one different intranet systems and then Genesis Design was three directors that had set it up and just did really nice buildings and yeah. it worked for what it needed to be but it was a huge change from that point of view but on the other hand gave you quite a lot more time to just get on with designing the buildings and well, that, it was a much more kind of old-fashioned apprentice type experience so in working for a big commercial practice your mm. your role models at, in the early stage were I mean I worked very closely with one of the directors and it was very businessy and we were swanning around the country and it was it was quite full-on working very closely with the directors at Genesis Design was like a sort of old-fashioned apprenticeship like you learned by listening to them on the phone and watching them drawing and going to site meetings and because it was smaller you could absorb a lot more as long as as long as you're somewhere where the people you really admire and they're doing really good work such a great way to learn i think you just you absorb it yeah do you know what makes me laugh when you're saying that because i had a similar experience where at epr architects where i worked which is a big architectural practice in, in london mm. it's the same thing that intranet that the filing conventions were down <laughs> and then I, I i moved to um not a smaller architectural practice but a, a recruitment consultancy at the time and you know the you would open up the r drive and it would just be pandora's box of a mess yeah. Yeah. you know yeah and i and, and i've seen that once or twice where um you know a smaller architectural practice as you say doesn't have quite as much naming conventions and in mm. one sense it's quite freeing because you can just get on with it but there is yeah. a tipping point isn't there with smaller practices where i guess you do need to invite some structure otherwise you just get the equivalent of student drawings which are final one 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 or da, da, da. exactly yes yeah, and when I was there, we actually converted over to Vectorworks, and we just we just learnt it by doing it. There wasn't any wasn't really money for training courses or three day, you know, going off and getting someone in. We sort of found the manual, downloaded it, and figured it out. And I think that kind of thing does appeal to a lot of a lot of architects are real sort of inventors, aren't they? Really, and they love mm. to find stuff out and do it themselves. And that was very much the culture that was there but it was great and it was it was the heady days where there was lots of work and a lot of control over the work so so that's where I was next and then I had a child so I was there for four years full-time mm. had my first child I was sort of 29 30 had my first child and when I went back I went back just two days a week which was mm. what I wanted um I I just decided it was I don't know. I think I was, it's funny all these years later, I think I was, I was trying to be a very good mum and now I've really lost interest. <laughs> this is, this is 17 years ago. So that baby is now doing array levels. Um, but yeah, so I went back two days a week and it worked quite well flexibly, but I was really just helping them out. They were so busy and I went back sort of on my own terms and I was just doing drawing work really. And yeah, so that kind of worked fine. But then second child came along and shortly after we got to 2008. So the inevitable happened. I was made redundant. I was the first to be made redundant. Oh, despite, no. So despite being kind of, you know, the protege that, you know, we, I kind of, I could have stayed there probably all my career. I'd have liked to. But, I mean, eventually they went down to sort of two or three people 
but mm. because I was two days a week, of course, I was the first to go. And yeah. that's what happened. And I wasn't, I, I was kind of gutted, but equally I wasn't that gutted because it wasn't like I didn't have anything to do. I was full on trying to work with two kids. Um, but yeah, that was a really tricky time because obviously there was no other jobs around. I actually mm. became a, a piano teacher for a little while. Oh, so really? I, I would definitely say to any budding architects, any other skills you've got, just keep them going. You never know when you're going to be using something. Like I was going up to the local um, old people's home and playing the piano for them and things like that. And uh, you just wouldn't think you'd have to, but we've got to be ready for, obviously, this has been very different the last couple of years, but you do know that redundancies mm. are going to happen. They're pretty much a, gar a, a guaranteed in your career once or twice. Yeah. So you might have to call on other resources. And at the same time, I was doing the odd planning application and bits and pieces from home, but not really because I wanted to, just to pay the mortgage. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I think that's really sound advice. I mean, I was a part one during the 2009 global recession. And I remember I was lucky enough to get a job. And the week I joined, the week after, they made people redundant, you know, because it was just <sighs> an, it was an awful, it was an awful yeah. time. And uh, and and I, I remember it vividly. And I can imagine that actually last year was pretty rough in architecture as well you had a lot of very good people being made redundant and you're right mm. unfortunately at the time as with some businesses when tough times come like this unfortunately anyone as you said that's part-time or on contract is you're sadly the first people out the door yeah. um yeah uh, but that's really good advice for anyone you know i love the fact that you were playing the piano that's quite that's quite sweet isn't it in the in the in the old biddy's home uh, that's really kind of you so you did that so, and you so during that time there was a combination of freelancing it was a combination of you getting by you know tough times yeah and so are you ret so you returned to architectural practice then is that right i did i was out for four years mm. and um i i did have another baby because i just thought mm. you know mm. not working I, I kind of had always wanted three i mean that was that sort of was the ultimate career suicide, really, having the third child. I would definitely wouldn't recommend that to anyone listening. Really? But, uh, <laughs> um, and then I, yeah, I mean, I just needed a proper job. We, we just needed the money. So when the youngest was one, I sent out tons of CVs and just looked at what was round. Still pretty tricky times, but there were a few jobs and I managed to get a job. Actually, I had to... I. I was trying to get a part-time job and I managed to get, I managed to persuade a uh, practice in Ringwood. I saw an advert, they were advertising for an architectural assistant. So way beyond, way below where I was. I was obviously an experienced architect by that stage. But I basically said to them, look, I want to work part-time. So you could get someone more experienced for the same money, but I'm just going to work three. I'll do three, three and a half days and fit into three days. And they went for wow. it. And I got a job. Well, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because I've had people talk about that dilemma of you, this, you see a part two architectural assistant role online and you're an architect or say, no, you're a qualified mm. architect overseas, but not quite in the UK. Um, I think during these times, you've got to do... Um, you got to do what you you can to get by. But what's interesting here, and and, and I appreciate your candid talk about it. It's 
it's very tricky, isn't it, as a, as a mother and, you know, with architecture historically as well. I think so. What's quite nice, and we'll get on to the, what you've done with Pride Road and kind of running your own mm. business and t- taking, you know, allowing, giving yourself the flexibility to work it around your family. But um, an observation, I would say, many years, um, having worked in recruitment for many years, is that it would be interesting to see in the next few years, but his, historically, it's very tough... Apologies, my thing's going off. One second. Here we go, one second. Delivery man, isn't it, Laura, in the interview? Here we go. Hey, we'll keep that in. That's how we roll in these interviews, <laughs> isn't it? Life happens. The, do, you, do you like my doorbell? Look how loud that was. I but, know, um, even on Radio 4, you hear somebody's phone going off, don't you? Or a notification or a cat. Yeah. I kind of like to keep it all in because I kind of <laughs> think it adds to the character of it. I think that mothers get much harder time in architecture, returning the work. It's such a struggle. I've seen so many talented people, uh, so many talented single parents, so many mothers, you know, and juggling um, the fact of especially uh, younger children and going back to work is exceptionally difficult and it can prevent you actually in some places historically getting the job. And it's just really, really tough. And I do think that is one of the reasons why we did have such a big gender pay gap between male and female architects. Mm. But I'm hopeful as well that now the one thing out of the pandemic, which is interesting, is that um, now people are uh, more open in architectural practices to working at home, which I think really, which really changes it. But surely from your experience, I mean, what was it like before? You mentioned working part time. You mentioned you're juggling a family. I mean, The idea of working remotely historically, I imagine, was an alien concept or very difficult to get employers on board to that idea. It was, and it wasn't for want of asking. And they were very nervous about it. They were, there was worry about, you know, you'd take, you'd bring viruses, not real life viruses, computer viruses, into the office by sort of taking work home. And there are all sorts of potential issues, which obviously now every practice has managed to get over in a month. But it was it was just occasionally directors would work from home a little bit as a sort of and it had just started to come in. I think one of the directors was doing a day a week or something. But the idea of the masses doing it was very far away. It felt like it was probably about 10 Mm. years away. And interestingly, I'm on the committee for women in property, Solent branch, and a couple of the girls on that committee are um, they're pregnant and they're talking to their employers about how they're going to go forward. And particularly working for bigger practices, there does seem to be quite a bit of talk about now structurally changing how they work and having the opportunity for everybody to work from home mm. one, once or twice a week. And that's just built into how they operate. And if you do that and your other half does that, it's a total game changer for bringing up a family. So I think... yeah. Yeah, it is. I think it's going to be fundamentally different and not because not just because of how it will be for the women, but a lot of how you have to operate if you've got a family is you basically think, well, one of us has got to keep a decent job with a decent salary. And so you mm. choose who that is. It's not always the women, mm. but, but the other one that it isn't is inevitably going to be the one that's got to be there for school pickup or sort out inset day or when they're sick. And it is very hard to juggle that. And I remember the interview with this third practice, one of the directors saying, so could we just have you like on tap? So we just, if we're busy, we get you to come in. And <laughs> another but one... when of, you're not tapped in, isn't it? That's not going to work. The bills well, don't get paid. 
And well, and also, how do you do that with children? And another of the directors who had kids just said to him, there's no way that a parent can do that. Like you to work, if they had seen the sort of, I'd have 10 sheets of A4 of working out the logistics of which child was going where, what we're doing, how I was covering the summer holiday, all this kind of thing. And then I'd just pretend that it was all fine and be like, oh yeah, so I could do this, this and this day. But actually the to manufacture that happening was an incredible amount of work. So the thought that you could just drop everything and pop in when they needed you, there's no way. I mean, that's not how life works. Unless you had the kids on your back, that's not really not going to happen. Yeah, I think that's a fair point, and I've seen it as well. It's it's just it's um it it can it's just it's just very difficult. So you had all you were at this point in your life and your personal life, your professional life, and something you had that kind of I guess epiphany moment. There was there's always an itch, isn't there, at some point where you think like. Hmm, do you know what? I'm going to start something on my own, which can also be an incredibly exciting idea and daunting idea. But I'd love to hear you, you, what your thought process was back then. Should I start something out? Should I? Shouldn't I? Oh, gosh, yeah. what should I do? Well, when I was at this practice, they were really, they were very good. And they really, I did work part time. You know, I was, there was nothing, they made everything as easy as possible. But the big problem is that culturally, you're the only one doing it. There's no one else part-time and you just don't feel like you're really part of things. And that isn't really uh, reflecting badly on the particular practice or the directors or anything like that. It's just this culture that we have where working part-time or working not normal hours isn't seen as any way to progress your career. So I would see people younger than me then getting promoted because they were there all the time. And it was just this, it, it's just, it is just a, a structural issue in the profession, I think. Like my very good friend from university is a GP. And so she studied medicine with me, we're the same age, she's got three kids. And she, during her career, she became a GP, had her kids, but stayed being a partner in a practice and it was it's just not an issue and I think everybody in her practice is part-time and this is what we need to get to we need to have it that within the profession there are different ways of doing things and they're they're just choices that you make as mm. and you know and you even know ahead that that is a choice you can make if you're the sort of, sort of person that thinks yeah you know I think actually for 10 years I probably would quite like to just work three or four days a week that you that that's a, an option it's not convincing people and trying to be like everyone else that actually there is it's okay to be like that so yeah. so I had you know because I'd seen her and, and how it was in other professions I think it made me just not want to accept how things were working part-time where whenever when no one else was I just didn't like it I didn't like the feeling I knew I could do I just wasn't being used by potential I was We'd just gone into Revit. We were all sitting there by the computer. It felt like a slow death sitting by a computer, picking roof types all day. Like, that's not why I went into depression. And so I actually, I didn't start, start up on my own immediately. I just left. And what I did was I just knew I needed to not be 
I, I needed to do something that was a lot less stressful for a little while to have a proper think about where I'd go to. And actually, my eldest wasn't very well. So it kind of that was the trigger that made me think, right, I just need to get out and have a bit of a think. And so I left. And I think my practice thought I was having a midlife crisis. And they said to me, Laura, just pick up the phone any time and come back. Because uh-huh. what, what I did was I got a job in our local library, which is complete like not what you think is on the on the horizon for your architectural career but I just it was close to home it was very part-time hours it was easy and simple although having said that at the interview I had to read a story a bed a a children's story to women that I'd never seen in my life before which is probably Uh, tougher than any architectural interview that I've had Um, and I actually beat 50 people to that job which I don't think I've ever quite done that in an architectural job as well anyway wow wow that's two years in the library and then I set up on my own then I came to my senses and got back into architecture (laughs) well I think um gotta give it credit I I do value as you said I think it's good to have a bit of time out and I think it I think that the, probably the library helped you get where you where you are. So it's not a waste of time. Do you know Definitely what I mean? Not. No, no, it was it was I think it was very, very valuable because I had the mm. time to think. It was the sort of job that you just did it when you were there and came home again. But there are a lot of things I found in that job in the library that had been missing in my architectural career. So some of the things I what I discovered I really liked was I really like working with the public so my previous practice we've been doing lots of big housing developments working with developers you know what it's like you do a scheme they mark it up with their red pen and send it back to you and then phone you up and see if you've changed it like literally five minutes after they sent it to you (laughs) and and they're, they're kind of you know it's quite frustrating so but in the in the library obviously you do have some interesting characters come in but on the whole you've got your normal public and they're just really nice and if you are quite kind and explain things well they're so grateful and I just thought I quite like dealing with normal people and I'm quite good at it I quite like sort of the education side and explaining things and that I mean you wouldn't believe how hard it is working in library it where there's been so many cuts that every Every librarian, although we can't call ourselves librarian because that's also a chartered profession. Uh, oh, every, really? No, we what were. were you? I think I was a library team assistant. <laughs> oh my gosh, you were a part. You were a part two of the library world. <laughs> There's a bit of a theme going on here, isn't there? But yeah. I mean, number one, it gave me so many good dinner party stories working there because just there was never a dull moment. Um, but I was with a team of. of it's obviously it's. It's the sort of job, it's full of part-time women. So I just found people like me, other mums, and you could sit there in the at your lunch and say, well, what's your, you know, talk about GCSEs or all the things that are on your mind that you're trying to sort out with your kids. And I had other people to talk to about it. And I hadn't really had that very much in my architectural career. So basically I had, like, I had friends that were kind of people in a similar stage of life. And, of course, in architecture, because so many women drop off after the children's stage, what's missing for the people that managed to cling on is that camaraderie and support network. And even so since, since starting up on my own, I have, like I said, I've got involved in things like women in property, but if you're a mum and you're busy and you're trying to work and be a mum, you don't really have time for any of those extra bits. Mm. And, And so all that extra networking that kind of is there as a support, it's quite hard to fit that in. 
Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, I was at the library a couple of years. I had basically one night I just thought I do need to probably get back into architecture. What shall I do? I had a friend that had asked me to set up with her. Another friend had set up a practice and they wanted me to join them. And I did go back and visit my old practices and just I was just doing a lot of sounding out, seeing seeing what kind of felt right. And I had become aware of Pride Road. I one late one night I Googled Architect Mum and funnily enough, I was actually looking for a podcast. I thought some there's gotta be one other person in the country that's like me at this stage and that's managing the same issues. And I just was looking for like a YouTuber or a, somebody online. And Pride Road came up because they've put lots of they've got a very content heavy website and there's and I I just started looking at uh the things that they had on there and it was just on my radar but I knew it was a full-time hours so I kind of hung on for a year or so until I felt like the kids were in the right bit older and until I felt ready and then I then I approached them so yeah that's what happened really amazing wow I'm, I'm loving it i feel like a fly on the wall of the journey but it's so interesting like and life's lessons and everyone goes through a different way and and yeah. i i just i i it, it, i think that the library in a mad way actually makes complete sense and it, and it's, it's it's bizarre sometimes isn't it where um sometimes in life some of these like as you said now you have your own pride road architectural practice but it mm. all this stems from googling late at night thinking like there's got to be another way and um yeah i think it's great and i quite like lisa's approach as well where you know she really i mean pride road is open to all that's the point however very supportive of um i guess flexibility in people's lives and so so what i'd love to know is why you kind of um decided to go ahead so you so now we were googling lisa you saw lisa and her yeah. fabulous glasses and you know yeah. with the with with the website and yeah and what 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 kind of made you think Do you know what i'm gonna i deserve this i'm gonna go for it i'm gonna pick up the phone or i want my own franchised um well it's, it's your own practice you know what i yeah. mean what yeah what made you uh, do it? What, pick up the court? Were you nervous? Or were you like, oh, should I do this? Should I explore it? Yeah, of course I was nervous. I mean, I'd had mm. a couple of years out and, mm. you know, you, it's, you've, I had managed to carry on with my ARB registration. So in your mind is always you can't have that long out before getting back in again. So I did feel like the clock was ticking. And... Mm. I think it was it was a a gut feeling of I suppose by having because I've tried out different things really the next thing I was going to do I knew that if I wasn't quite brave now perhaps in five years time I wouldn't be like I, yeah you know I've potentially got 15 20 years left of my career but actually if I was um five years older would I think oh you know I don't I don't think I'm quite up for a challenge so I definitely felt like I was ready I was up for a challenge and kind of had nothing to lose like I was working in a library I was I was having to do um test the the different testing on the heating (laughs) of the radiators and like leukemia testing and emptying out the hose pipes it it really wasn't what you think like being in the library was so I definitely had nothing to lose and I tried different ways of doing things and of course this was the pre-pandemic world where I knew that 
my mm. kids my kids are at three different schools and I just knew I had a bit of a complicated life and although they're getting older I still didn't want to just completely be nine to six Monday to Friday and never mm. have that flexibility to be around because there's still lots of school holidays and inset days and things like that I mean the irony is since setting up my own business I don't think I've really talked to them for the last year because turns out setting up your own business is flipping hard work <laughs> it's definitely hard work I've done it myself as well and there's a lot of fun involved um and there's also you make lots of mistakes and there's a yeah. lot of hard work there's it's a combination of everything I do think it's definitely worth exploring if anyone's got the itch out there I recommend <laughs> it I mean the mistakes I made Laura I mean you you um they they're valuable in life and I think after because I actually now I work um, full time I work for a large company um, mm. called McDonald Company great company it's um, what I would say though is I've got a thick skin because once you run your own business and you've got people banging on the door and all this stuff nothing really shakes me in this kind of role now and you know yeah. you know what I mean it's uh, it's yeah. It's, but but with that comes immense frills from it and so what what's interesting is so when I was had my own recruitment business I'm not a number person okay I can do percentages right I can I can navigate an excel spreadsheet but that's about as far as I go in terms of my own personal ability mm -hmm. so one of the things that we did was we outsourced the back of office and so while I didn't run a franchise, um, what is interesting is that I outsourced parts of the operation of running the business. And mm. what it allowed me to do was concentrate on the main task, which in your case is architecture. For me, it was recruitment. Mm -hmm. So what... Um, what has it been like so far from your perspective? So you started in January and you, so in March, we've got the pandemic. Yeah. So what, um, how does it affect the way you do architecture? So um, do you want to run me maybe uh, how it's set up in a broad sense so that we can give any listeners a flavor? We don't need specifics, but mm -hmm. what's it like at the moment? Do you, do you spend your day going out meeting clients? Are you able to, to focus on the architecture? What's it like as um, being part of um, a larger franchise but running your own architectural practice? Well, before the pandemic, we were very face-to-face -face with clients all the time. So because we're just uh, doing residential projects, the way it's set up is that you you do all of the front end stuff, but then we outsource our CAD drawings to a technician. So the main bulk of my work, of my actual architecture work, is doing free initial consultations with clients, which is looking, before the pandemic was go, driving to their house, looking around and then talking to them about how we work and going through some lots of questions and talking about budget and all sorts of hard hitting things and, and giving them a bit of education, a bit of perhaps talking about some planning issues that they might have or something like that. And then they book in the next, the next bit of work we do with them is a concept design workshop. So that's where we do three or four options for their house. They're live with them. So pre-pandemic, that was at their kitchen table. And we'd go and survey the house, draw it up at there whilst we were there and do this workshop with them. So you're basically drawing the brief out of them. You're, yeah, you right. draw, draw, what draw what they want 
and then mm. you help them to decide is that really going to be the right thing often you kind of know up your sleeve much better way of doing it but you're talking about how do they live and where are the priorities and where are the compromises and how, is this ever going to be possible in their budget those kind of things but you're doing it through drawing so it's actually such a different way of working it's not mm. being back you weren't back in your office drawing for hours on end making four million different choices it's it's trying to make it as simple as possible for the client, but also the architect, because the idea is that this is quite a systems-based way of working, because then it is meant to fit in your life. So lots of architects don't work in the residential sector because, number one, you'd never make money. And number two, clients, of course, it's their house. It's emotive. They're quite demanding. And they want you to be their very own personal architect. And they want to be able to email you and tell you they've had a different idea and could you just draw it for them? And you've got to have boundaries. And that's why this appealed to me, this approach, because because it's so systemized, you know exactly what you give them in terms of time. You know when you might do an extra meeting, but it doesn't slip into being all hours and constant, just overthinking everything, which obviously mm. our, as architects, we're we we're very much trained that we're we're that way by nature and then we get worse during the training and we just become utter perfectionists and this is a way of managing that as well so since the pandemic all of the both of those two things now happen online and we do it all over zoom we've we've got um document cameras that look at what we're drawing and we don't see the clients and then if it if the project moves on to a planning application we we then get our tech. We all have a technician that we've inter we've interviewed technicians. We we outsource to chartered architectural technicians, and we all have our own one. So you form a really nice relationship with them, get to mm. know how each other works. It's a little bit, almost feels like a little bit of a partnership, although they're still doing their own work. Um, but my technician in this last year, I've given him so much work that he's now just employed somebody else. So you become. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah, wow. That's you basically amazing. you become their best client because you're constantly giving them work. Um, and then when when a project goes to a planning application, then at the moment that's when we go to the house and we have a good look around and we discuss the planning drawings with the client, and that's when we talk about the elevations. And then we do the building regs, and then we do a pre-contract meeting and a handover to the builder. So we all we all sort of form part of what I quite liked about Pride Road was you, that there was a lot of very specific training. So I've had very specific training on networking and how to get these kind of like I've joined BNI, which is this international networking group. And through that, I've now got a builder that I refer my clients to for like ballpark figures after their workshops. And for my clients, it feels like I've got a team around me of people that I now trust because I see them a lot, but everybody is self-employed. But it's, I mean, it's, although it's been pretty hard with the pandemic, I kind of have really enjoyed it and I am still loving it. And it's because I can just be completely me. I don't have to try and be anything different, but that really works in this market for like clients like that I've got kids and they can yeah. identify. And the important thing is that they do identify with you. You're not trying to mm. be some higher plane professional ivory tower type person the more relatable you can be the better because most of these people wouldn't have employed an architect or ever thought that they could 
Whereas we're trying to be quite accessible within this market that doesn't have many architects. And the few that have had architects generally don't have brilliant things to say about them because they probably haven't approached the right sort of architect for their job or they thought they were going to get something that they just never would do for their budget. Um, mm. So, yeah, really interesting. But so we had to completely change how we worked and it is all online and I am really missing seeing people and actually that interaction, proper interaction with clients. But the, because we did go online, we've made it work. Like we we hardly had a gap. We immediately took everything the appointments that we did have online, I obviously I had only just started, so I didn't have many bookings anyway. So that was the hardest thing for me, getting new clients in. But now a year on, they just they just are coming. Like I'm super busy and wow. people are just finding me. And I've I, obviously I've done, I do lots of social media and bits and pieces, but it's what I'm doing I think now is enough to make it a viable business. And yeah, it's really, it's buoyant. Wow, you should be very proud, especially during a um, difficult time. I always admire people that um, go out and set things up. And I think the important thing here is Pride Road. It's amazing the franchise is a supportive model, but it it's a, mm. it takes two the tango, right? And you've got to you got to want to do the dance. You've got to be the mover and shaker. You've got to go to the to the to the client's house, and that really comes from you as well so hey if i had my soundboard here sorry because i'm moving i would <laughs> i would do the clap but yeah, no i think it's Thank amazing you. yeah i really do and i love what you're talking about about you know these partnerships involved you're working with lisa you know she's thinking about the the overall picture and yeah. as well what i think is what makes sense is with you it's the personal connection to your neighboring areas going around helping people out giving them frank advice and i think to me what's it i because i found you because i've got uh, the architecture social instagram and i do follow mm. you and okay. I, I i do you know what i've it's you know you laugh because i um i now and then i will watch your things because yeah one or two clips that come to mind is like you going for a walk you going on the beach and bournemouth <laughs> beach right is it bournemouth is that correct bournemouth yeah 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 bournemouth beach and i enjoyed it and i felt like it was a bit relaxed not pushy and i think that's the point that if i was looking for um say now an improvement to my home that's probably the kind of person that i would approach because yeah what what I like here, there's kind of a softer image of the architect, not necessarily, you know, the Le Corbusier glass door. So you're coming yeah. in here, how dare you ask that about your house? So I think I think it's all quite approachable and it works. And I think that there's always room for the Broadway Malians of the world and they're good employers and it's a totally different thing. But what I admire here is what we're talking about is you know, community-based, amazing architectural uh, projects which improve people's lives. And it's great that, um, above all, what I like about this is it's, it's allowed you to kind of be successful um, and have a family. Do you know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's allowed you to dictate it. You can be, you're the boss of you. And I know yeah. that's a blessing and burden from experience because <laughs> yeah. also being the boss of yourself, um, I imagine that you're also, you can be hypercritical, you know, it's easy to start going like, I need to do this. I need to do that. Yeah. But yeah, then it's course. nice that you, you have a support framework there. So look, this is an amazing overview. 
um, I'm quite keen to, while we're here, we're talking about the Instagram. So for anyone listening, well, they can find your Instagram. Um, they can find you on Instagram. They can, do you want to give all your social media handles as well? Yeah, yeah. So Instagram is at Laura Pride Road. Mm-hmm. Just checking. Um, and then I've got a Facebook page. If, if you, if you um, the, the Facebook page we use a lot for low, is very useful for local clients. So yeah, yeah just um, it's the Facebook road. It's law. It's pride road. South is my Facebook page. And then, yeah, my Instagram handles at Laura pride road. Uh, and, amazing. And, I'm, and I'm just me on Facebook. I'm not very good on, I am on LinkedIn, but I'm not very good on it. And Twitter I'm, kind of avoiding at the moment oh, do you know what i'm glad you said do you know what twitter i just feel like it's just sometimes it's just um people frustrating their frustration uh, venting their frustrations into a cave of nothingness like it's just sometimes i feel it's so pointless <laughs> so i'm on that was i think i prefer instagram i know it's owned by facebook and i know facebook are not the the most um conscious uh people but i do think that the platform's better and it's quite nice to see your architecture on there as well um do me a favor at the end laura you need to add me on linkedin because i can no longer add any more people so please do add me and um what i would say here is um i what i'm going to do now is so this will all be on the website we need to get you in the architecture social if you're not laura i'm going to get you there because when we post it anyone anyone that's got any questions they can drop you a question yeah of course uh, that's what it's all about isn't it yeah. i mean yeah i've really really enjoyed this i think it's absolutely um it's been i've really enjoyed learning about everything about Broadway Malian to the library to Pride Road that's what it's all about bet, the journey definitely a unique career path I reckon I, I challenge anyone to have quite so many turns in their trajectory to stardom I'll I'll I'll, I'll yeah I've done quite top the library but what I but I I did I was a part two is now a recruitment consultant so you know I've, I've kind of I've broken the mold as we're all you've yeah. got to mix up the formula and uh, this has been great and so parting words before you go so for anyone right now any our listeners right now I always think that it's a it's a difficult time but things are starting to look better things are starting to go well but if there's anyone that was in your position before that's kind of feeling like my current situation's not right or mm-hmm. they want to mix something up what would you would what would you advise people to do go on google in the in the night and kind of find the way or what, what <laughs> what's think, your thoughts my thoughts are that your instincts know you know that what's that saying about when you're ready the right teacher comes some sort of buddhist saying isn't it and for me my instinct was telling me when i chose pride road when i met lisa she was that person that she had three kids i was like I honestly didn't think there was another architect in the whole country that had three kids. I thought I was the only one. And finding your tribe, finding that person that's like you at your time is amazing because then you have a role model. So I would say whatever stage you are, the power of role models or, you know, like I was saying earlier, that person that's a bit when it's a bit like an apprenticeship to have find that role model. So they might not be in your current practice, but they might be in your local council, or they might be in the RIBA if you went to a local RIBA thing, find that person that you really connect with and then amazing things will happen because you'll have the confidence to to be you and then you'll ask the right questions and then you'll really grow. 
Wow, wow. What an, a, what a fantastic way to end this episode. Thank you for coming on, Laura. You are an absolute gem. Please do keep sending the Instagram stories of you on the beach because I quite enjoy it. There's not a beach near me. I'm in London. Oh, okay. And keep doing amazing architecture. And uh, well done on your successful architecture practice during the pandemic. Thank you so much, Laura. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Bye-bye.